people are coming to me a couple of years in and that dream that they had is not turning out to be the reality. They might be doing okay on business development. They know they need more help. They know where to go, right? But if they need the help on, they're feeling like, okay, the revenue is coming in, but it's not actually turning out to be the freedom and the flexibility or the profit that I thought I was going to get. You're listening to Be That Lawyer, life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Each episode, your host, author, and lawyer coach, Steve Fretzen, will take a deeper dive, helping you grow your law practice in less time with greater results. Now, here's your host, Steve Fretzen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Be That Lawyer. I am Steve Fretzen, your host, as the announcer just mentioned a second ago. And this show, as you guys know, it's all about helping you to be that lawyer, someone who's confident, organized, and a skilled rainmaker. We are sitting in the heart of the summer here in Chicago, and uh, it's just a wonderful time to you know work with lawyers to help them grow their law practices. If you're hearing about Fretzen for the first time, uh, we work with lawyers in two ways. One is a very thorough and involved MBA-style coaching and training program. We also work with rainmakers through our peer advisory groups called the Rainmaker Roundtable. So. If either of those sound good to you, please don't be afraid to reach out and uh, get a 30-minute consultation with me. Uh, Also, if you haven't uh, checked out, would like a free copy of my first book, Sales Free Selling, to understand my philosophy on why uh, I hate sales just like you hate sales, then you can go to uh, fretson.com slash sales-free-selling and grab a free copy of that book. And that is enough of me. More importantly, I've got Rachel waiting in the wings to do a great interview. How's it going, Rachel? Great. I'm so excited to be here, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. You seem like you're shot out of a cannon today. I love it. (laughs) Energy's high. I'm ready. (laughs) Right. You got to, you're going to bring mine up. I just ran a a two hour uh, networking event through Provisors uh, here in Chicago and gave it that all my energy. And for some reason, you know, it was down. Now it's back up because uh, you're helping me with that. You're helping get my energy back up. Appreciate that. We've got our quote of the show. And this one I think has come up before. And I think the reason is, is because it's just so smart. It's just so good. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's an African proverb. Share, 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 share. Why is that your quote of the show? I love this quote because I think all of us, and especially when we're talking about, I know it would apply to me, to you, to lawyers, we're all high achievers, right? And it's very easy to just go do something ourselves and do it on our own. But really the better results, the longevity, it's more fun when you have other people involved, when you have the right people around you. Something is so much more fun, so much more impactful. And I just think that when we start looking at the human aspect of what we do and involving that, oh man, we really can take our results the extra mile. We really can. And I and I just know that the way to get ahead is to fail or make mistakes and learn from them. But sometimes the reality is that people aren't able to see what's in front of them. They're not able to see the forest through the trees or however we want to say it. So, you know, going going further together, that might be mentors and coaches, that might be partners, that might be, a, you know, a team helping you advance and your relationships helping you advance versus, hey, I just, I'm going to just try to figure it out all by myself. Yes. It's so easy to get in this isolation chamber. I'm feeling like we're operating in a solo and that our problems only belong to us and we personalize them. We start knocking ourselves down in the process. And that really trips us up, right? It's not just the fact that other people can bring in outside perspective. They can bring a, 
a levity to the situation that's otherwise very serious or bring an outside perspective. It's that when we're doing things on our own, we often get trapped in our own ways of thinking and doing and not seeing the reality that other people out there are having similar problems to us, that we're not alone, and that there are others to help us solve these situations and to start really bringing out the best that's in each one of us. Yeah. I was talking to an attorney the other day who said, you know, I've been f- focused on business development for, for 10 years, and I evaluated that lawyer on so many different levels from planning and execution, marketing, and everything else. And what I identified and shared with him, he wasn't real happy with my language on this, but it was like, I think you have one year of experience 10 times because he was doing the same stuff for 10 years and it really wasn't getting him results. It really wasn't getting him where he wanted to go. And I was like, so that's, and that was my problem in sa- coming up in sales was I think, you know, I just had managers telling me sell, 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 frets and go get them, you know, stuff a, you know, a square peg in a, in a, in a round hole. It never felt right to me. And so I think I needed to kind of become a student of the game and to make those mistakes and learn. And that's really what makes someone a great lawyer, makes someone a great business developer is, is that, that change, right. That can occur. Well, and understanding that we can all grab the latest tactic or technique and try a new thing out. And then a, sometimes it doesn't work right off the bat because you don't have that experience, right? You just, you're just starting out, even though it feels like you should be able to get further along. But I think also it's, um, it's choosing the thing that you really want to be vested in, right? What is the form of selling and business development that works really well for you? What is the practice area of law that works really well for you? When we're dealing with a business owner, what is the aspect of the business you love to do? What do you dislike doing? Because nobody is going to be motivated to get the 10 years of experience on something they really don't like doing. So play into what we really love. And once you've decided you love it, or you're willing to put in the effort that love, the love and the the subject matter expertise tend to go hand in hand. So, well, Rachel Steiniger, you are the founder of Upward Acceleration, and we're going to get into some heavy, heavy, you know, BD talk today and helping lawyers to really be their best versions. Give us a little background how you you know came to be and and how you got into legal and the whole Michigas. Yeah. So before my whole coaching and consulting experience, I worked in corporate. I worked in investments, which is actually a really interesting place to start because I think it frames so much of what I think about with anybody that I'm working with today, which is how do we maximize that ROI and learning these are some basic building blocks of how we have value that can be compensated in our business, both in the short term as well as long term. And so I had this amazing experience, but what I describe it as for anybody working as an employee right now in any form or fashion, you get to be an entrepreneur before you're an entrepreneur. And I got to work on an amazing team. I had a boss who I'd say, hey, I think we should run a client conference. And he'd go, great, Rachel, go do it. And so I'd run that. I ran a lot of product initiatives. And so learning that from this experience of needing people to do things in order to get things done who did not report to me. I had no authority, no hire, fire, pay, promote, and yet we still needed to get things done. And having these experiences of going to somebody and say, hey, let's bring in, I worked in institutional investments, large dollar amounts. Hey, let's bring in this $2 billion portfolio. This person wants to invest with us. And I need you to do this one task five minutes a day. <laughs> no. <laughs> when somebody would just say no, and then you have to find a workaround. You can't go back to the... uh the $2 billion investors say, uh, you know, they don't feel like doing this thing. <laughs> so finding those workarounds, having that challenge of being an entrepreneur in a large organization, and then how to shift, right? I got to a point where 
I wanted to make change more immediate. And yet those lessons from having worked in that environment came with me of how do we bring other people involved? How do we make a people-reliant business more efficient? So every moment that we're doing the business development, we have confidence that we can bring it in and service it. We have confidence that more revenue isn't going to also mean more stress and less profit. So that was my background was working in this institutional environment. And then I shifted out of corporate. I was helping a friend launch a business. And I realized how much I just loved the playground, so to speak, of solving business problems. Like when you love solving problems, business problems, I think are the most fun to solve. So I ended up, it evolved. I had great working relationships with the general counsel in my corporate career, great working relationships. And then I'd gone through a contentious divorce in my personal life. And so when I started, my first law firm client was a family law client. And when we started chatting about their business, what was great is they'd start explaining the process and try to explain to me how it worked. And I was like, no, I know this. (laughs) I've been through this. And we got to focus right on the core value of what they did as opposed to all the the process. And is that that when you transition to working more with lawyers? Yes. So that really kicked off that work. It's been very organic of working with lawyers of that has led to, you know, referrals to another referral. And so at this point, I would say 80% of what I do is with law firms. Yeah. So let's talk about that. When you think about law firms and kind of where they sort of miss the mark in their development, what are sort of like the top three things that you're seeing day to day that they're coming to you for that you're just saying, wow, this is really not like it should be. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially when they go to start a law firm, what they're looking for freedom, they're looking for flexibility, and they're looking for that financial opportunity that in that container of owning your own business, you have more of it, right? You get to keep more of that profit. And what I find is people are coming to me a couple of years in, and that dream that they had is not turning out to be the reality. They might be doing okay on business development. They know they need more help. They know where to go, right? But if they need the help on, they're feeling like, okay, the revenue is coming in, but it's not actually turning out to be the freedom and the flexibility or the profit that I thought I was going to get. And what I find with them is that complexity of owning a business adds this extra channel of work, right? Every lawyer needs to think about How do I do my work well? How do I have the subject matter expertise and apply that for clients? But also, how do I generate the business? And so those two streams really happen no matter what the vehicle is that you're working in. But once you own the law firm, you have this whole extra track of owning a business. And we're fed a lot of different ideas about what we should be doing. You know, oh, go try this thing or go try that thing. Or you should be working on your business. And nobody ever really explains what that means. Nobody's taught somebody how to run a business. In, in law school. And so what I find is folks are coming to me feeling burned out. They're feeling overwhelmed. They're even questioning whether they want to do this anymore. And they know there's got to be a better way, but finding the time and carving that out, really difficult yeah. for them to do. And, and so creating the, the financial results through the systems and the people as opposed to the direct selling part of it. Right. But it's this, right. And the systems and the people and the delegation and the business aspect that, again, not only are they not taught in law school, they're not taught, you know, even if they work at a law firm and they decide to go on their own. So they really need to understand what are the resources available? What, who's going to teach me how to run this business? Because if you just try to figure it out on your own, yes, you can do it. And many have, 
but mm-hmm. but what is the cost? The time cost, the actual you know cost of hiring bad vendors or bringing in an associate too early or whatever it might be, because you don't really understand what the progression should be and how quick it should go and who do you really need or it's like the top three or four kind of focus points to get things organized. Absolutely, and I think too that we're given so many tactics that we can try and maybe you you talk to your buddy from law school and they've started a practice they give you some good advice but what works for them is not necessarily what's going to work for you and so finding a way of personalizing the strategy that you have around where you want to be in the marketplace what do you want to represent when you go to hire are you just hiring a warm body are you hiring somebody who looks good on paper are you hiring that person that's going to be a great fit for your business. And that kind of differentiation, that discernment isn't something that just happens actually. It's actually a skill and there's an actual process behind it that we can follow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great that I teach lawyers business development and focus on helping them grow, but many of them will hesitate to talk with me or hire me because they're already overwhelmed with not only the work, but also everything that's involved in growing a business and or, or operating the business, as I should say. So, what what are the things that that they have to understand to make everything tick and work together? Because that's really what's missing, I think, is is that that either lack of knowledge and then lack of execution on what how does this run like a business? Because it is a business. It's not, you know, it's not playtime. Right. It I think first of all, the ones that I see it, that are doing it successfully, they've really learned what what it means to work on your business. So let's define that first. Okay. I think it's important to say it's not just doing the tasky stuff. The tasky stuff is boring. I don't know anybody who really likes doing it. It feels really good because you're checking off a to-do list and so it can feel like you're accomplishing things, but it's not really moving the needle forward. When I think of somebody working on their business, of creating a business that works for them as opposed to them feeling like they're carrying it all on their shoulders, right? You're talking about folks who know that if I bring in more, it's just going to overwhelm me. And so before they go and get the business development, they need the confidence that they can say to a client, hey, we're not going to drop the ball here. We're going to be able to keep going. And to do that, we need to make the business the foundation. So this is where I see the more successful attorneys. And what I encourage my clients to do is instead of you carrying it around on your shoulders, let's create the business as the foundation. And think of it as if you are uh, you built the, sam- the open face sandwich upside down. So you flipped your avocado toast upside down on your hands. You know, you can, you can lift weights as much as you want to try and hold this avocado toast you can try sticking more things in the middle, but it could be a mess and things are going to fall through the cracks. We need the business to be the foundation. And then we need to approach the systems and the people in the same way. Because one thing about a law firm is this is a people-reliant business. We we don't need more locations. We don't need more machinery or equipment. We need more people because people are the real value driver. When you have good people in a law firm, you, you're going to have a successful law firm. People reliant, that is hard for a lot of people to do because now we have to master the delegation and the communication, the hiring. And people do, they get burnt. They they hire people who who lied to them, who don't show up, who ghost them, right? We've got some bad experiences out there. So figuring out how to handle the employee part of it. And then the last part is systemization. And how do we systemize this so we really truly can iterate and improve on that business foundation? And bringing this all together, I call it an execution engine, really looking at what do we really want out of this firm? How do we figure out our optimal action plan? How do we bring in the right people? And then how do we systemize it and improve from there? Um, yeah, so, so that's so, what I see. That's what I see the more successful people doing. And that's what I help my clients to do so that when each new dollar comes in, we flip that sandwich back over 
it's stable. We can add more layers if we need to, and now we can grow. So it sounds like what really differentiates the folks that are able to work on the business versus in the business is going to be systems and process and, and people that right can do it. And I guess I didn't actually define on the business. I look at on the business as the thing that is driving the value long term, right? We have billable hours. That is an immediate revenue hit. We have sales, which is that fairly short term revenue increase. When you take, let's say you're making $400 an hour and you take two hours out of your time, you lost technically $800 in that moment. And I think this trips lawyers up sometimes because they'd rather have the immediate $800. And let's be honest, clients and revenue are in your face kind of urgency. But when we can take those two hours and turn them into $800 saved next week and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that, how have we maximized long-term ROI. We've just made ourselves 800 times 50 weeks out of the year. So now we've made $40,000 in our two hours as opposed to $800 in our two hours. How can we maximize that every time we go to work on our business? That's how I want people to think and lawyers to think about when they do have to take away from the billable hours or the sales. Let's get them off the hamster wheel and let's figure out how we permanently get you value from those two hours you've taken away. Hey, everybody, check this out. You've just had a call with a client where they need help with something you don't do. You've reached out to colleagues, you've searched the lawyer directories, and you simply tell them you don't know anyone that can help. Overture changes all of that. Overture is the first private attorney network designed for the country's best independent attorneys to refer matters to one another and ethically share in referral fees. It's a great way to keep your clients happy and build your practice with referred clients. It's by the founders of LegalZoom. Membership is free if you're accepted, but act now to get priority access to referrals for your state and practice area. Apply for membership at overture.law, overture.law. Okay, let's take a quick break to talk about how MoneyPenny is changing the game for lawyers who are losing business every day and may not even realize it. It's impossible to provide amazing client service when you have phone trees, voicemail jail, or untrained staff handling your phones. Every inbound call could be a new client to intake properly or an opportunity lost. With MoneyPenny, it's all but insured. The call will be handled exactly the way you want it every time. To take immediate action on this, write down this email and start your free trial. It's svj at moneypenny.com and just mention my name in the subject line. Lawyers, there's an easy way to boost your law practice. Partner with Get Visible, the digital marketing agency that makes you stand out. Meet Sarah, an awesome lawyer, but a terrible marketer. Get Visible helped her build a powerful website and boost her online visibility. Now she ranks high on Google, gains clients through ads and engaging content. Tired of feeling insignificant? Make it rain. Visit GetVisible.com and stand out. Some of my clients have figured out that if they focus 100% on business development, and I've had some, a number of them on the show, that actually produces even like significantly more than an hourly rate, meaning they're bringing in dollars $100,000 matters that they can feed off to their team. And that's really the best use of their time, not actually billing $600 an hour, which you would think is counterproductive. Like, hey, if you're doing $600 an hour, you should just be billing all the time. And that's not necessarily the mindset or the reality of, of how profits work. Yes. And that's the key is to find what is the thing that's maximizing your value in any given hour. And I think it's almost a scarcity trap. A little bit of it is mindset. A little bit is that urgency of I've got to make payroll. 
or I think it's also we have this confidence. It's sort of <laughs> all spent a lot of time in school, especially anybody who's gone to graduate school. And so there's this feeling like I checked the box. I've gotten the rubric. Like I hit my $600 an hour. And yet it's all the things that are not on that rubric that will actually create the long-term value. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. For some people, I think this is one of the options when somebody is scaling is, is my highest value in being a full-time business developer as opposed to a lawyer or doing mostly business development and having other people that I channel the law practice to. And and that depends upon the person too. Are they going to want that? But some people will want that. Some people want to work on the business. Some people want to just practice law. All right. So there's someone listening right now, and this could be someone at a big firm. It could be a solo. It could be someone with a small firm. Okay. Yeah. And right now they are not following the execution engine, right? They're doing everything themselves or mostly themselves. They're billing hours. They're handling administrative. They're handling HR. They're handling, you know, they're the ones setting up the insurance, like whatever it is, they're doing it all because that's the way lawyers, many of them are wired. And what would you say are like the top three things that lawyers need to stop doing and either figure out a way to not do it, delegate it, hire around it? What are kind of like the top three, like no-nos, if you will? So do you mean tactical things that I would look at? Some of the first things that I look at? Yeah. The first things you look at, you're evaluating a, a lawyer law firm and you're, you're saying, oh my God, the lawyer's doing this. Bookkeeping. <laughs> yeah, bookkeeping. I was going to say, that's always top of the list. Oh my God, that's the worst. Bookkeeping. Yeah. Bookkeeping and, you know, any kind of manual payroll calculation. Yeah. Doing that right away. Uh, I, I just, that's one where it's not your zone of genius. Let's, let's take it somewhere else. Uh, another one that I see is not using a practice management system. Right. One of the reasons that I just like that. Well, I, I want people to use practice management systems because it creates a more scalable law firm. I don't like writing call reports. Like I've used CRMs and systems my whole career. And, you know, I don't like doing it. But once you've done it, you've created, it's in a robust system. I, I've talked to lawyers where they're using spreadsheets to manage their client information. And spreadsheets are so easy to mess up, to move a cell accidentally, and you mess up all your client data. And so then they bring somebody in and they're like, person's not paying attention to detail. No, you gave them a system that's not built. For like, it's just, it's too prone to human error. So I look for things like that. So if you're trying to manage everything in a spreadsheet, utilize the tools. There's great technology out there. AI is, we could have a whole conversation about AI. Start utilizing the tools and embrace the technology. Well, and I, I would just add something real quick to that. And that is, you know, get the technology, but make sure that the technology is right for you so that you're not investing in technology that really isn't a good fit. You got sold a bill of goods and then it's not being customized to you. You're not really getting appropriate proper training. Like there's a lot of ways to, to, for that to get screwed up fast. So really make sure when, that you, yes, you need to get that management system, but make sure you've got the proper fit and proper training. A hundred percent. I've seen so many who they're using the spreadsheet and they've been paying for the practice management system, right? Yeah, they're yeah. paying tools. And again, this is sort of that. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's one of those things where we can be like, oh, there's this new thing. Let me go do this. This is going to solve all my problems. And let's be honest, that's what sales and marketing does, right? <laughs> We're going to solve all your problems. But the reality is you have to fit it into your own situation. But there's some big ones. And I think that one's one of them to me is, is you can't expect people to come in and think exactly like you think, have the same attention to detail like you have. And so 
having that expectation. And I think that would put me into like the third thing I look for is is really what is somebody's willingness to delegate? And even solo attorneys on their own, there's still advantages to having somebody who helps you as a legal assistant or in a paralegal role or an admin. There's so many different ways that you can hire. But I think one of the things that catches people is what I like to call the curse of the competent. We are better at doing our jobs oftentimes than the person we've hired in. Sometimes we're not. We can learn a lot from the people we hire in. But being conscientious that there's always in a process I, I like to have people say, okay, even if it's something as simple as as creating a draft, okay, tell me what are all the steps involved in that? And where is your critical value? So that's a really easy step I think for anybody to take is to look at the entire process before they get started. You only have to do it once and saying, I'm really good at revising or I, I can come in for a second round, but all these other steps, if I just back my process up two days, I can start delegating it out to people. And now I come in higher value thing. Well, and keep in mind too, with delegation, that it is, there are different levels of, of people and experiences that will allow you to delegate it a hundred percent from day one. And there's other situations where you have to micromanage it for a day, a week, a period of time, and then start to loosen up the grip. And eventually through training and through, you know, um, experiences, failures, and, and learning, somebody can be that fully delicate. Like my marketing guy, Sergio is amazing. People that see my marketing rave about it. And so do I. Guess what? He wasn't perfect from day one. It was something that we had to work together on. How do I want it? How do I? He now sounds like me. He actually responds in social media. People think that I'm writing that post. I'm not, but he's done such a great job of evolving to be, you know, kind of my shadow in how I write and how I handle social media that but that took time. We have to be patient and give people proper time and training. Exactly. I, I could not agree more. I, I look at it as you're looking instead, not for did somebody get it right the first time, but what were the warning signs that somebody's not going to ever get it right? Right. So you had Sergio who asked you questions and then went and iterated what he did to consistently improve. And that's the sign of an A player who's going to get there as opposed to had to tell them three times and I had to, you know, they didn't do what I said. If somebody's really just not listening, then you know those are different warning signs. But somebody not getting it right on the first time, that's training. That could be that you delivered the training or the instructions in a way that didn't land with them. And so we have a lot of communication, a lot of different ways of approaching delegation that will make you more effective. But you're exactly right. It, it doesn't land on the first time. I mean, do any of us do it perfectly on the first time? Or you have to pay, you have to pay a lot of money for that person who will. But still, somebody yeah. like marketing is a great example. Like, you can't have somebody read your mind. <laughs> it right. would be great. Make our whole lives easier if somebody could read our minds. Well, and and, and, awkward. and very awkward. One <laughs> of the things I love about Sergio, too, is when he does make a mistake, um, a grammatical error, or he posted something he wasn't supposed to, or that I had needed approval on, or anything like that. Okay, I could get really mad at him and yell at him, but you know what he does? He takes ownership of it, and he apologizes right away and says, look, this was my mistake. You had told me X, Y, Z. I didn't do it. That won't happen again, but I really want to apologize. You know, Steve, I know that this was, you know, this was my bad. And I'm like, Sergio, man, don't worry about it. It didn't like end my business. It wasn't like a, a, a tipping point in the negative direction. I just so appreciate his thoughtfulness and, and ability to take that ownership. And I think that's something we want to look for in, in a, in a good employee. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, 
Yeah, it's wonderful when you get those people and you're like, okay, they have the competence. They have the, I think, the confidence too to admit that they made a mistake because we all make mistakes. I I have great embarrassing stories about my career. (laughs) Sometimes those are some of the best moments where a mistake was made. We learn from it. And when you have one of those people on your team, you want to take good care of them. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. So kind of wrapping things up in in the last couple of minutes here. I mean, what is the we we all right. So we have we have the with the bookkeeper, we have the practice management, we have, you know, you know, the delegation in place. Anything else that brings it all together that will help build a sustainable law practice? Because that's ultimately what folks are looking for is is how do I how do I keep this engine running and and, and going a little faster every year? Yeah. What I think the engine does a really good job of doing is making this holistic. Because when we look at things in their parts, I'm only looking at the employer. I'm only looking at hiring. I'm only looking at my systems. I'm only looking at my technology. We can run a drift. I'll actually share one of my embarrassing stories. I, uh, (laughs) back in my investment days, brought on an account. We'd spent nine months preparing to bring on this relationship and we built out an SOP. If anybody's ever written an SOP, not fun to write, but the work standard, part is, and for everybody that's listening, standard operating yeah, procedure, yeah. right? Just so for, like the, a, for the for layman. the layman. Yeah, this is your procedure, right? You've written it all down. You've given it to everybody who needs to have it, and then somebody doesn't follow it. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. Anyway, this a person involved basically had the equivalent of typing a negative sign instead of a positive sign. And it cost us $250,000 mm. from that one thing. So huge error. We'd gone through this whole thing. Somebody, obviously something was missing. And you'd think we checked all the boxes. We had the, the operating procedure. We had all these discussions. And yet $250,000 down the drain basically wipes out all of our revenue for that client for the next year or so. Wow. A couple of years later, I, you know, that that's the sort of thing you never forget. A couple of years later, I am, um, this is where the actual embarrassing part is, oh. is uh, a couple of years later, I have a new relationship come in and it's, it's the same kind of risk profile as that earlier one where you could have that kind of error, but about six to 10 times greater. <laughs> and we were going to have this one person have to manually enter certain things every day. So again, we're exacerbating that risk. We ended up finding a little way to bridge and get the data from one point to the other. And so this person's job went from an hour that it was going to be, never actually spent the hour, down to about five minutes a day, double checking. So a couple of months in, talking to this client and the client goes, we love the relationship manager that you put on our account. At the time my title was relationship manager. That was my role. <laughs> and I know they're not talking about me. <laughs> I go, Dave, we love Dave. Dave is amazing. And Dave was the guy who was doing the five-minute double check every day. And with his so-called extra time, he was calling the client. He was talking to them about the markets. He was talking to them about their weekends and their kids and all these things, right? They loved him because he was adding all that extra value. And so a little embarrassing for me. I was not the one yeah. who they love. But uh, what's great when we're talking about the business development standpoint is they had started at, I think, $1.5 billion. They went to $6 billion in about 18 months. Like they loved, and a lot of that had to do with they love this relationship. But I look at, this is where when we look at things holistically, when we look at both the systems and the people part together, we create days. We create people who go the extra mile. We create Sergio's, right? When you are giving him this strong foundation and now he can be 
the best person he can be in that role. And that's, I think, what bringing this all together does. So that would be my my main piece of advice is stop looking at all the little tactics and the, and figure out what's that strategy, what brings this all in holistically. Because if we can have firms full of A players like Sergio and like Dave, you're, like the business development actually becomes very easy because you're just delivering an amazing client experience and everything else. Yeah, I think the client experience and I you know, had Jerry Madman on my 300th show and he talked about how business development, marketing, all that's super important. But if you don't have a good client experience, it's like it's all going to come around and haunt you. So you got to have all those pieces together. And and I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to come on the show and talk to that. Let's go to the Game Changing Podcast. And you had a unique one that I was really interested in. I'm going to listen to it and check it out. It's called The Email Marketing Show. What's that? What's that? I'm assuming it's about email marketing. I could be wrong. It is. That's all about email marketing. But the two guys who run it, Rob and Kennedy, are a mind reader and a hypnotist. And they're hilarious. So first of all, if you just want the comedic value, go and listen to them. They're great people. I've, I've met them in person. They're fantastic. But the podcast itself, they're talking about different email marketing techniques and tips and ways to nurture that relationship with your clients. So let's say somebody comes in for a consult but doesn't sign up, you're nurturing them after the fact. Or maybe you have some sort of value add piece that you want to give somebody right off the bat, something to help them understand who you are and what you do. Or or let's let's make this a specific example. Let's say you're in family law and you want to say, here are the top five things to consider in negotiating a custody agreement or a parenting agreement and you have that on your website, most people collect those email addresses and they do nothing with them. But these guys talk about how once you collect that, that is a new way of creating somebody, bringing them into your world, indoctrinating them essentially into who you are and what you do. And now you've built a personal relationship. So even before revenue is exchanged, you created this client experience from the go. So I love them. They're they're fantastic and funny and, and a lot of value to add. I really would if you're interested at all in expanding the email marketing side, that's, yeah. that's who I would check out. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to check that out for sure. And I, I do love, obviously love the funny as well as is educational. So that's a nice combo for me. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, Rachel, learn more about uh, Upward Acceleration and what you do for lawyers um, and for helping them grow their law practices. What's What are the best ways to, for them to reach you? Sure. I'm on Instagram as well as on LinkedIn at Rachel Steininger. And then you can also visit me on my website, upwardacceleration.com. Very, very good. And I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. We've got, uh, of course, Money Penny, who's helping you just crush it on not only the um, intake process using their virtual receptionist, but also you know, doing the live chat on your website. And of course, Get Visible, uh, who's just uh, cranking it out. They're doing some great work for me and great work for attorneys all over the country. And of course, we've got Overture.law, uh, you know, Overture Law, just crushing it, helping attorneys make money and hand out work in, in, in an ethical way. They're just the rock stars in their space. Um, get involved with them now before it's too late. You can get your your own state and practice area locked up, and uh, you just have to check out overture.law. And as you guys know, if you're interested in picking up the book, Sales Free Selling uh, for free, and uh, understanding what that methodology is all about, what am I teaching my clients, check it out. It's um, fretson.com slash sales-free-selling to get that. Rachel, thank you so much. This was a blast. I knew it would be, and uh, you did not disappoint. And uh, just thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you, Steve. I'm so excited to be on here today and I really appreciate the opportunity. So 
Thank yeah, you. and I think more to come. I think there's a lot of synergies and ways that you and I can add value for each other, helping lawyers to be their best selves. Actually, to be that lawyer, someone who's confident, organized, and a skilled rainmaker. See how I pulled that off? Not too bad. Very good. Not All right, sure. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Take care. Be safe. Be well. We will talk again real soon. Thanks for listening to Be That Lawyer, life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Visit Steve's website, fretson.com, for additional information and to stay up to date on the latest legal business development and marketing trends. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out today's show notes.